Good morning. morning. Greetings to you in the name of Christ our Lord. What a delight it is to see you. Uh, We feel uh, like we have experienced the fulfillment of the psalm that we were reading earlier where it says uh, our mouths will be filled with shouts of joy and with laughter and being with you evokes that in us and we thank you for that. In fact, when I think of Ashland Place, I can't help remembering how Paul said to the Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, because that is how we feel. And uh, it is as if um, we were just here yesterday. Uh, We feel um, (laughs) that sense of uh, closeness, and let me say to you also, of deep appreciation for you. When you have somebody with you for seven years, you endure so much, (laughs) and you did it with such grace. And such dignity and such kindness. And th- th- that, that was like, like seven years of sort of Lenten discipline. And you passed and you did. And, and I'm better for it. So thank you for the privilege of getting to be with you. Well, we are so grateful uh, that uh, during those seven years, um, we were, uh, Philip was from eighth grade through 12th grade and then even his first two years in college. This is a pivotal seven-year period in his life as it was in our lives as well. And we could not have imagined, and I've told Sterling and Kristen this, I could not have imagined uh, what a church could be like. Uh, If you had tried to tell me ahead of time, I wouldn't have believed it could be like Ashland Place. It just exceeds expectations. And I thank God for that. So thank you for giving us the privilege of being a part of your life in God, uh, not only in those years, but in all the continuing years between. And know that we do thank God. Upon every remembrance of you, it is not lost on us that God continues to do a great work in this church. And all you have to do is drive on the property and see, my goodness, this is amazing. What a vision, not just of something pretty and nice, but of something worshipful. That uh, in a world uh, where there can be so much that is not beautiful, (laughs) to be a place of great beauty is a healing thing to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that. And now today to get to be a part of it anew, to to drive in as we did today through the Bankhead Tunnel. And uh, think about 1939 when this church was organized and the tunnel being dug and the dirt coming out here and all of that. We could go on and on. It's almost unfair because there's too much to say, so much I want to hear from you that... um, that it would be great to spend our time being able to do that. I do want to tell you, do want to bring you greetings from Philip. Uh, Philip uh, is doing so well uh, vocationally. We're so grateful for that. His, his continuing work with the legislature keeps him connected to people that he met in every local church we served. And that's been very fulfilling to me to see him connect the dots and realize, oh, that's how I know these people. And one of those being our, our own Mayor Stimson, but others as well. Uh, some of you know, uh, we, we've let Philip be in charge of, of sharing this, but we've asked people to pray for him. Uh, Philip, uh, several weeks ago, was diagnosed with tonsil cancer and um, some lymph nodes involved also. And so he's been undergoing seven weeks of radiation and chemotherapy. And uh, we're very grateful for the prospect of the outcome of that and very prayerful about it. We're also praying for his strength to, to be sustained uh, through this period because this is, as many of you would know, this is serious um, treatment to go through. But your prayers and the prayer shawls that you have sent have been a reminder to us of what our church family uh, at Ashland Place means to us. So I thank you for that. Now, 
I, I also bring you greetings from Lillian Gilly. Uh, she has been our uh, administrative executive assistant at First Methodist Church now for eight years or so. I had the privilege of bringing her on board there. She has made a ro- she is a rock star on the church staff. Even after some of our associates leave to go to other churches, they call Lillian to do their charge conference reports for them because <laughs> Lillian knows how to do that. So I do want to say greetings to you from her. And then I, I could not, of course, be grateful to Susan Tall. We've spent the weekend across the bay with Susan, and, and uh, she was at the 9 o'clock service. But um, Sterling, uh, Sterling and Leanne Boykin and, and Kristen Curtis and Micah Wright, Kristen Curtis Wright now, are so dear to us. When we got to Dothan, um, we, I, I knew Leanne, and so we needed a youth director, and I knew she was the Cadillac of youth directors, and so we got her from Atlanta and brought her to Dothan, and it just, the place blew up with youth. It was just truly amazing. And then I met Sterling, and Sterling already a master's degree in public administration. Sterling uh, had felt a call to ministry, so he was on our staff at Dothan and drove to seminary at Emory in Atlanta a couple times every week and did seminary and worked for us four days a week. And then I saw what a rock star he was because he didn't back away from study. He didn't come home complaining about all those books you got to read and all that stuff. Well, you know, I want a colleague who's digging deeply in here, and he is. And so, uh, so proud of them. They were stars on our staff uh, there in Dothan, and uh, I'm so pleased that, he, that they are here. Well, when I was in Montgomery, Montgomery First has an intern program. We get interns from Huntington College and Alabama State University. And they work on our staff in pastoral ministry. And we have some stars there. One of those was Kristen Curtis. And she was valedictorian of the whole intern program, let me tell you. We, we, we try to get her not to go to seminary. We just ordain you now and just you know, keep you right here. No, I'm going to go to seminary too. Well, okay. And then Micah Wright, her husband now who serves Spring Hill Avenue. You have two of the shining stars of the Alabama West Florida Conference. Not one, but two. And you know what happens. Competent people like being around competent people. And you put them together on a church staff, and I couldn't be happier uh, for the quality of leadership that you have here, as is true for the rest of your staff. And I appreciate that as well. So just, just for you to know that we, uh, have, we're so, so happy about Ashland Place. Um, the um, reading, that they've been leading us in a series... Sterling and Kristen have, from the Old Testament passages that uh, it's called A Way in the Wilderness, and all these passages have related to uh, God making the way in the wilderness. So this is one from Isaiah 43, the lectionary uh, lesson for today in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, beginning with verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. One of the great joys of being in this church, and there's so many, uh, are the people. <laughs> and um, uh, George Hardesty, who influenced my life so much. George can influence your life now, you know. Today, I know. I know the Bible passage. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's George's favorite passage because he said in the legal profession, we never do anything in one day. It always gets delayed, you know. So today, you'll be with me in paradise. Travis Bedsoe, you know Travis Bedsoe? Travis Bedsoe, uh, because with some relations we had to, um, to Spring Hill Avenue Temple, and I was doing some work with the rabbi there, Travis introduced me to Judge Gordon Kahn, for whom Travis worked. Judge Gordon Kahn was Jewish, so now I'm in his chambers, and we're getting to talk and visit. I uh, did that several times, developed a relationship. What an inviting person. How wonderful for somebody in the Judeo-Christian faith <laughs> to have a friend who's Jewish and uh, you can discuss things that matter with, and so open he was about that. One day he called me, though, said, I want to invite you to my bar mitzvah. And I said, Judge Khan, you did that when you were 13 years old. You're 65. What's going on? And Judge Gordon Khan said to me, my faith means so much more to me today than it ever has at any time in the past. That I met with the rabbi, I'm going back through the bar mitzvah program with all the other 13-year-olds. He relearned all the Hebrew, studied the passages in Hebrew, studied the Hebrew scriptures, studied the Hebrew history, went through the whole nine yards, and invited me to come. You have the big bar mitzvah ceremony. Would you come? I'll come. I went into Spring Hill Avenue Temple, looked around. I realized I'm representing all the Gentile world in here. I hope I get this right. And um, so they go through the service. He does the Hebrew. He reads the passages. It's like an affirmation of your faith. It's like a renewal of your faith. And then, but then there comes a point where the candidate uh, is supposed to make his own, his or her own personal statement about my faith. And uh, I don't remember everything that he said, but I, I memorized this line. Because I was sitting right down there, and good Judge Khan said, I am proud to be part of a faith that has given the world Moses, Einstein, and he looked down at me and said, and Jesus. <laughs> That's, of course, it would be beautiful whenever any person is at a point in their life where they can look back over their life and see it come together. That's wonderful. But that, that, he was saying more than that. He wasn't just saying, my faith has been meaningful to me. He was saying, I'm proud to be part of a faith that has given the world. Not just about me. The world has benefited from Judaism. Moses. Einstein. Jesus, he named them all. And you could go on and on and on and name others as well. But he was doing, uh, he was actually doing what Sterling preached uh, four weeks ago in the start of this series in the Deuteronomy 26 passage. Now, let's, let's take a moment and ask Sterling if he remembers what his sermon was. Because it's hard to remember sometimes. I know you would never forget, but I mean, preachers do sometimes. But that was the passage where uh, when you've gotten through out of Egypt and you're 40 years in the wilderness and you come in the promised land, Deuteronomy 26, beautiful passage. So when you're in the promised land, no more manna from heaven, plant the crops so the produce is there, take the first fruit, put it in a basket, take it to the priest, and the priest lifts it before God, then you're supposed to stand there and say, 
a wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down to Egypt, uh, small in number, and there we grew into a populous people, great in number, but the Egyptians oppressed us. They treated us harshly. We cried out to God, and God delivered us and brought us out of that slavery into freedom. Talk about the Exodus. You stand there, and you make an affirmation of faith. But have you ever noticed this about Jews? I love this. At their best, Jews look into their basket like you were preaching, Sterling, and they see the story there, and they know this is much bigger than myself. Jews understand we have no reason to be alive. We're the tiniest minority you could imagine, and yet here we are. There have been ways in the wilderness we could not have made. So it's, it's an amazing thing to think about the role Judaism plays in the life of the world. That when Jew, you know how Jews talk about God? Oh, Gentiles will stand around and argue about God. Is there a God? Or they wrestle with God. Or we use philosophical terms like the prime mover, the first cause, that than which there is none greater. Well, those are all okay. You know what Jews say? Who is God? The one who got us out of Egypt. Part of the sea. That's how we got here. It's always fascinating to be a Jew because you know, by all rights, we shouldn't be here, except God keeps making a way. Here's a homework assignment. Go into the search bar of your computer and, 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 um, and, and type in there, oldest hatred in the world. You know what will come up? Anti-Semitism. Amazing. This tiny group of people who've given the world so much <laughs> have been beaten and battered and demeaned and degraded over the years. It's just a fact. And yet here they are. And my friend Rabbi Elliot Stevens says, the reason we have food at all of our festivals is what we're saying is they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. <laughs> don't think Jews don't get it. That they have been the kicking person of all of life. And so when they look in their basket, they know it's the one who brought us out of Egypt. It's not because the culture was always so much on our side. It wasn't because everybody was so in favor of us. It was in spite of that. So part of the reason for Judaism is, as we look at their story, we learn who God is. God is all wrapped up in history and in that story. God is using the Jews to demonstrate that when there seems to be no way, there can be a way, and that's how they got out of Egypt. Now, in this passage that I read, did you hear how God referred to God's self? This, this is in 586 B.C. or around there, way after the Exodus, but now they've been overrun by the nation of Babylon, taken into Babylonian captivity, tens of thousands of them, and God speaks a word through the prophet, but how do we know who this God is? Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea. Well, when you tell a Jew, the one who makes a way in the sea, the chariot, the army, the water, they didn't catch up with us, they didn't get out, talk about the Exodus. Thus says that God, do not, that was good, but let's not dwell on that, God said. Don't remember that. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. I'm going to bring you home from exile through the desert. And there'll be rivers in the desert where there cannot be because I want to give war to my chosen people because God's goal is I created them that they might declare my praise. At its best, Israel declares God's praise, not because everything is so wonderful. It's not that kind of praise. It's the kind of praise that says, how do we make it through the Exodus? 
How do we make it through the exile? How can we possibly be here? Praise God. God is doing something with us and in us and through us. I was so pleased the other day. I, I watch you on the internet all the time. Y'all look good, too. I listen. And Sterling, right in the middle, of the Sterling was trying to convey the idea of what it's like to be, be in the exile. And he had this great question that he, that he tossed out. How, anybody here cheer for any sports teams in Louisiana? I said, we didn't teach him that in Dothan. I don't know where. But I did raise my hand. And I was looking for Conrad Pierce, too. I hope he was raising his hand. But that was the idea, wasn't it? If you're in Alabama and you're for any other team other than Alabama Auburn, that's what it could feel like in exile. Where is God? Who is God? We've lost our faith. And yet in 539 B.C., Cyrus, king of Persia, overruns the Babylonians and tells the Jews, you can go home. How could this happen? And they go back. But you and I know. And this is the question in the passage that God asked the people, do you perceive it? Do you perceive what's going on here? Do you perceive why there was a way through the sea and a way in the wilderness? Do you perceive that 500 years later, a baby would be born in Bethlehem? And it took the sea and the wilderness and that whole story to get him there. And his name is Jesus. That's what, that's what the story's always been all about. God making a way and making a way and making a way until the time was right for a Jew to be born and Judaism could be taken to the whole world. And that's what Jesus does. God says in Isaiah, it's too light a thing you should be my servant. I'll give you as a light to the nations, light to the Gentiles. And in Jesus' birth, that light was shining. And all of us are here today because the way through the sea and the way through the wilderness became in Jesus' life the way to the cross. It's all the same way. It's all the same path. And so we have exile. We have exodus from, and freedom from slavery. We have exile and coming back home to Israel. Now we have death but then resurrection. But don't forget what happened after that. When he ascended into heaven, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit upon the believers in Jerusalem and the church was born. Do you perceive that that's really what Christ wants? Do you perceive that the church doesn't have a mission? The church is the mission. That's been dawning on me in recent years. The church doesn't have something else to do. Something is what the church is what God is doing. And it's made up of people who needed to find a way in their own life and did find it. And that's why they can help others find that way as well. When I was a little child in Bainbridge, Georgia, I learned this internally before I learned it cognitively. I was being raised by my grandparents because of problems in my nuclear family. And so uh, th there I am living with them. And they took me to church. And here I am walking in three, four, five years old. And the church was so beautiful. And the environment was filled with such love that even though I had some problems because of a family situation, they got healed. When you see children walking around here, be sure you speak to them. You don't know what story. You don't know what... People think children... People forget children can have a wilderness too. And, and the church doesn't have a mission. The church is the mission. The church is the place to say, when you're ready for the path, here it is. We got it. We know about it because we've already been on it. So uh, several years ago, we'd been praying for Cheryl's sister Molly for a lot of years. Molly was away from the faith. We didn't know that on that particular day, after a decade of praying for her, she decided to go to church. Why in the world would you do that? She didn't even tell us. That afternoon, she called, went to church today. And while, if she went to a church, I wouldn't have ever thought she would go to. You know what happened while she was at church? One of the most awesome 
radical, shocking, unbelievable, earth-shaking things that can happen in any sanctuary happened at Trinity Methodist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, as Molly sat there not knowing a soul in there. Do you know what happened? The people behind her spoke to her. Perceived. Do you not perceive it? They perceived God has brought somebody here today who needs the church. They perceived this is a human being. What if we related to her? Well, they did. Mike and Cammy Quinn, we know them to this day. They took her to Sunday school. She got involved in Methodist women. She got into disciple, wanted me to help her buy a Bible, wanted to learn about tithing. That's how you know it's really registering. <laughs> and then... Um, after a decade or so in that church, she, she developed this malignant uh, brain tumor. And we brought her to Montgomery. Cheryl gave her a great quality of life for, for the next five years. But, but right before, and she, the, the faith was so much a part of her. It, it, it was the path through the wilderness, and the church was. But just before she died, she said to Danny, who had come to visit, he had hired her at the computer company where she had worked. She said, Danny, I want you to promise me you'll go to church. He said he would. I didn't feel it. I thought, you know, people say all kind of things in the emotion of the moment. Who knows? Danny did. Next thing we know, he's calling us saying, I went to church. It was great. I said, yeah, been there 2,000 years. They know a lot of stuff. It's amazing. Eventually, he decided to join the church. Cheryl drove from Montgomery. It was on a Sunday. I, I stayed to preach. He drove to Montgomery to walk down the aisle with him and fulfill the promise he'd made to Molly. I didn't say to him, I hope you'll think good thoughts. I hope you'll do a few good things. Molly knew the church doesn't have a mission, Danny. The church is the mission. Get in it. And that's how Jesus became real in his life. And she was there the day that he joined. One of the baptismal services that we have has this great line in it. The church is of God and will be preserved to the end of time for the conduct of worship, the due administration of God's word and sacraments, the maintenance of fellowship and discipline, the edification of believers, and the conversion of the world. All of every age and station stand in need of the means of grace, which it alone supplies, the means of grace like the cup and the bread. I wish we had time today for everybody here to do with each other what Judge Gordon Kahn did. To simply tell your story. But you've got one. And um, my goodness, if we could know all the stories that are in this room. Just the story of how you got here today. What did God have to do over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years for you to know about this church, to be here today? And if you're somebody brand new, have you ever come to the right place? You don't need to go to the casino. You have hit the jackpot. <laughs> the eternal jackpot. You're in a colony of the kingdom of heaven on earth. The church doesn't have a mission. The church is the mission. And whenever somebody like Molly is ready for finding the way, where do they go? They come to church. And the question is, does the church perceive it? Does the church realize it? Is the church ready? Y'all will remember being in Lily Sawada. Oh, my goodness. What a great couple. 
<laughs> oh my goodness, Ben, Ben, the, Jap the two Japanese uh, American citizens who had so much fun, uh, Ben uh, saying to people when they were assumed he didn't know English, well, where are you from? And Ben would say, okay, see if you can pronounce it, Mobile. <laughs> he, he just, he jerked people around so much with all these different things that he did. But uh, when we got back to Montgomery, they were there. Uh, and uh, had a, I had a chance to uh, get to be part of the, his funeral service and minister with them, visit with them a lot. But in some of those visits, Lily told us about before she met Ben in World War II. Some of you may know this story, that uh, uh, persons who were Japanese were put into internment camps. She was an American citizen. These, they were taken up out of California. Back in Arizona, it's like going into exile. How, do, how can God make a way? Something like that. I asked Lily that. How'd you handle it? It was terrible. How'd you handle it? She said, well, it was bad. We said the first thing that we did was organize the church. Because when you worship, when you come together and you sing and you say the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, that is the way in the wilderness. That's how you get through. That's how she survived there. They formed a church. There are people in Mobile who need, who at some point will become ready to find the way. Thanks be to God, there's a church that perceives it and that is ready. I'm going to ask you to join me in something that we do all the time, but in the spirit of Judge Gordon Kahn, could we affirm our own faith using the Apostles' Creed? And I'm going to ask that we not, because we know it by heart, I'm going to ask that we not gallop through it, but that we say it. Realizing. <laughs> Cheryl, Cheryl was at a flea market on one of her economic mission trips one day. <laughs> and she got to talking to the owner, and he was a new Christian, even though he was in his 40s, 50s, a new Christian. And he was just bubbling over, just like a new puppy, just full of Christ and the Christian faith is wonderful. Just he couldn't stop. And, and Cheryl, of course, she was sharing her faith too. I'm with you on this. And, and they kept going back and forth. And finally, she just said, well, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He said, where did you get that? <laughs> Being a new Christian is a wonderful thing. But at some point, I want him in a church that teaches him how to affirm your faith. Because he knew you got better words than I have. <laughs> Let us stand as we say together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.